Good morning, church. It's uh, only natural that we imitate the ones we love, isn't it? I mean, how many things do you do because someone you love did them that way? For instance, I, all my life, have tried to work hard and respect other people because I saw my dad work hard and respect others. Or maybe you make lasagna a certain way because that's how mom or grandma made lasagna. Or maybe you go out of your way for the underdog because you saw how your mom would treat other people. You see, you do it that way because someone you love did it that way. Well, many of you listening uh, today have as your heart's desire to love Jesus and to do things like him. To listen and learn from him and to follow him and to obey him. And uh, I just want you to know, I'm proud of you. There is no greater calling in life than to follow him in his ways. And as I was thinking about this, it prompted a question in my reflection on our Dwell series. So here is a simple but engaging question for this message. How did Jesus treat the good book? In other words, what was his relationship to Scripture? And if I am going to be like him and imitate him, shouldn't my view of the Bible approximate his? Now, while he didn't have the New Testament in the way that we have the New Testament today, of course, uh, but what was his relationship, his view, his approach to the Word of God? to the Old Testament scriptures as we know them. Well, here's my thesis. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you will treat scripture as he treated it. And even more than what you say, isn't it what you do? Isn't that the real test? How did Jesus use the word of God? I want us to recall at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was uh, in an isolated place in the desert, in the, what we call today the temptations, and he had uh, chosen to fast for 40 days. And when the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And in spite of the questioning of his identity, in spite of the massive days of, his, uh, of hunger, in spite of the loneliness and the vulnerabilities that he felt, in spite of Satan's deceptive ways, in that moment of seeming weakness, Jesus delivers a clear and confident response to the devil. From the same part of the law of Moses that had been lost by Israel and then found again, at the time of King Josiah, that is the book of Deuteronomy, Jesus responds in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3 with a clear memory and says this, 
Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now there are two more temptations, and they are met head-on by the Son of God with a clear recall from other sections of the book of Deuteronomy, each time answering with, It is written. Here's my first point. Confidence in the Word of God was the secret of Jesus' private life. You see, with the Word of God, He prepared for ministry. He fought temptation. He struggled against Satan. He overcame. In his private prayer, the word of God flowed from his lips. We might remember the latter part of his ministry in his prayer life. It was the secret of his strength. And as he gasped for his last breaths from the cross, he was echoing Psalm 22 in his prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And again, the Psalms pour out of him as he repeats in Psalm 31, just before his death, Into thy hand I commit my spirit. You see, I want us to see, first of all, that confidence in the Word of God was the powerful secret of Jesus' private life. Now, when he begins his public ministry, he goes to his hometown and he goes to the synagogue and uh, he stands up and he's handed the scroll, again, the Word of God, and he enrolls it to a very precise spot and Jesus knows exactly where he wants to turn and he knows the Word and he opens it to Isaiah chapter 61 and verses 1 and 2 and this is recorded in Luke chapter 4 and verses 18 and 19 in this section of Scripture that is familiar to us. Here's what Jesus read from that place. Again, it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you might recall that he then rolled up the scripture, the scroll, and he hands it back to the attendant, and he sits down, and uh, Luke says that the eyes of everyone who was there were glued to him, fastened to him. And what does he then say? And this is important. He says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, the scripture is the source. It is the fuel of his public ministry. And there are many other examples of his use of Scripture like this in his public ministry or in his public life. When when he taught the disciples by the lake, he uh, quotes from the Word of God. When he teaches the multitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes multiple references 
in the Sermon on the Mount to the book of Exodus, to the book of Leviticus, to the book of Deuteronomy, using them as the basis for undoing the Pharisees' poor understanding of their Bibles and using the Scripture, using these texts and offering his own understanding and interpretation of the meaning of these sacred words. And as we've already seen, Jesus frequently referred to the Scripture by using this phrase, it is written. Using God's Word in this way, he he justifies his actions to throw the merchants who were wrongly dealing in the temple and to throw them out, Matthew chapter 21. When he finds himself at odds with the religious leaders, Jesus appeals again to the Word of God. Remember when that expert in the uh, religious law asked him, what must I do to uh, receive eternal life? And now I love this. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the expert answered by quoting from the scriptures, and Jesus gives him the thumbs up and then tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, and interprets the scripture, and interprets the scripture's intent to teach us to love our neighbor even when they do not look like us or act like us. And then again, in Mark chapter 7, to the Pharisees who challenged him and, uh, about his disciples' failure to observe the ancient custom of the washing of their hands before eating. And in that section of Scripture, Jesus replied that they, meaning the Pharisees, had put in their own rules in the place of God's law. They had exalted tradition above the Scripture. And Jesus says, you've nullified the words of God by your insistence on your traditions. What an amazing appeal and trust and confidence in the Word. Then there's the other side of the religious spectrum. When the He went toe-to-toe with the Sadducees. And you might remember that the Sadducees, just they did not believe in the resurrection and any kind of resurrection. And Jesus answered their test question about a woman who had been married seven times and he unflinchingly points out their problems in Mark chapter 12 and verse 24, Jesus says this. Our text says, Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? Ouch. He did not mince words nor toy with the Word of God. Point two again. Confidence in the authority of of the Word of God was the source of Jesus' public life and ministry. Finally, I want us to think about those 
day-to-day ministry moments, maybe the ones more like the, the ones that we find ourselves in, where we're walking and talking, where we're just trying to get along in life, and in Jesus' case, he was walking and talking uh, around Galilee, and those moments, they comprise most of our day-to-day existence with friends and with family and with neighbors and with co-workers. So I'm calling this, I'm calling this Jesus' personal life. What was the role of the Word of God in those times? Well, Jesus is brilliantly consistent. No surprise there. When he's alone with his disciples, what does he say? He talks about the parable of the sower in depth using a passage from Isaiah. When he is sitting on the Mount of Olives and he is privately outlining the future with his disciples, he repeatedly references the book of Daniel to explain what is going to happen. And then listen to this. As Jesus is walking along on the road to Emmaus, this is after his suffering and his death and his resurrection. And he is walking along with two guys along the road and they're trying to understand all the events that had just transpired, what had happened, and why their leader was crucified and why the tomb was now empty. And they don't recognize Jesus. And here's what he says in Luke chapter 24 and verses 25 through 27. Let's see if this brings this all together for us. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses, in other words, with the first five books of the law, And all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, he helps them understand, as the text right here says, both his suffering and his glory to God. Point three then. Confidence in the Word of God was the center of Jesus' personal life. Okay, let's recap. The secret to his private life, the source of his public life, the center of his personal life. Jesus lived out the great truth in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that man does not live by bread alone, but how does man live? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, how many things do you do because someone you love 
did them that way. I love the Bible. I trust the Bible. I believe the Bible. In large part, because the one I love, Jesus Christ, loved the Bible. He trusted it. He rehearsed it. He used it. He memorized it. He submitted to it. He obeyed it. He had a sacred relationship with it. Finally, he fulfilled it. Here's the invitation this morning. You see, the whole story of the Bible tells us that Jesus came to redeem a fallen world. If you've not come to Christ in faith and in repentance, in baptism, you are lost and separated from God in your sin. You're without God and without hope, as the book of Ephesians says. But Christ suffered and died for you to reunite you, reunite you to God through His death and His resurrection. The Scripture tells us that it is so. I want to invite you to obey the Word of God, to come to Christ in faith, for your forgiveness. And for those of you who are listening who love Jesus or trying to follow Jesus, will you, in your love for Him, find yourself loving and cherishing and using the Word of God as He did? That's my prayer for you this day.